Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word, to be challenged by your word and encouraged by your word. And we just pray for the study tonight that you'd be glorified and that we would, um, that our eyes would be opened to what you intend for us to learn from your word. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're we're in part two of the new creation. Last week was a bit more out of left field, a couple characters that were outsiders, and they really didn't have much of a faith background in terms of, of, of God, of the God of Israel. Those were Naaman the Syrian and also um, Zacchaeus of Israel. And they were, they were brought in to God's family. And one was, the first one, Naaman made this great pride. He was miraculously healed. He had to humble himself and follow the prophet Elisha's commands and instructions. And he was miraculously healed and he responded with, with faith. And uh, and, and Zacchaeus's sake, it, it's so, so Naaman's faith kind of puts him right up there with like a, another Gentile, like Ruth, who becomes part of the kind of extended family of God by through worship and through allegiance. And we have Zacchaeus, who um, was an, a political outsider. And, and Jesus said, this is now a son of Abraham. This is now salvation has now come to his house. And, and he responded with great praise. And sacrificial praise of his own finances and making amends and they were both kind of left field or kind of just out in left field kind of characters where people being reconciled new creations uh, and we get this idea from second corinthians five seventeen. therefore if anyone is in christ he, the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here that's exciting and with naaman's case and specifically with zacchaeus's case it's a very exciting thing, and you could just see Zac- Zacchaeus's joy. So today we're kind of in center field, and today is also kind of like ladies' nights. We're gonna have two ladies in our text today, and we're these are people who are more on the inside. At least they were part of the conversation. So when the conversations in our text tonight start to happen they're going to have things to say because they already are a part of that context. So we have the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, the woman at the well. And when Jesus talks to her, she's going to have something to say about faith and about religion. And she, she has something to say there. And also with Lydia, Lydia is going to be a God worshiper already. So something's already going on there. They seem to be in, they seem to be part of something, but we don't know quite what yet. And so God is going to be at work in them and that's going to be the real joy we're going to find tonight. So John chapter four, we've got the story of the Samaritan woman and the story of Lydia. This is starting in verse four. Now he, this is Jesus, had to, had to go through Samaria. So he was traveling from, I forget if he was going from north to south or south to north, but he was in the middle of that is Samaria. You got to travel through to get from Galilee up north to Judea down south. You basically had to go through them the easiest way the straightforward way was to go through them and jesus went through them or 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 vice versa judea back up to galilee 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And right by the way, I want to say at the very beginning here that a lot of us have heard John 4 preached or taught a million times. And we, a lot of us have, we've already heard all the background material and all about this or that. And the cool thing about tonight's lesson is I don't plan on going into much of that. I'm going to take a different tack. And something jumped out at me earlier today. Uh, the odd part about this week is I've been kind of separated from my books and from my commentaries. So I had kind of had to be, I kind of had to kind of take a different tack today. I couldn't really dive deeply into some of the commentary works like I usually do and do heavy research. So I had to kind of take a step back and look at the text with fresh eyes, which can be very refreshing to do so. And so if, 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 if my teaching on John 4 tonight sounds a little bit different, and because usually people bring up the same things about it, you, you just bring up this, you bring up that, you bring up that. Well, I'm going to bring up something a little bit different. I'm going to highlight something tonight that's not always highlighted, and, but it comes from the text. Okay, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, <clears throat> near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And so naturally, we're wondering, where the heck are his disciples? Because why would, why would Jesus have to talk to this person alone? So we're happy that John puts it in here for us. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And of course, John would know that because he was in town buying food. Okay. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John puts in parentheses, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Where can you get this? Are you greater than our father Jacob <clears throat> who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did all his sons and in his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It doesn't matter how good this well is. It doesn't matter how good Jacob was or any of this history. Or this is just water. See, Jesus is going to go right to a metaphor here. He's going to take it out of the realm of the physical, like physical water. Like I'll take a drink out of my mug right now. There's water. There's tea in here. That is physical water. But you've noticed if some of you are able to watch this on the Zoom here, I've taken a few drinks since I've started teaching here. You eventually get thirsty again. So Jesus is going to go right to a metaphor. So we're not going to be surprised when Jesus unpacks this episode later on metaphorically. So when we hear things like spirit and in truth, there's something different about that. But we already have something different. Jesus is already using a metaphor. Here we go. But whoever drinks the water I give them, will never thirst. Huh. So that's kind of a metaphorical water. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, well, that doesn't make biological sense at all. So obviously, Jesus is being metaphorical because Jesus is not handling out, handing out Dasani water bottles that all of a sudden the people turn into a well when they drink. It. Okay, this is literally not happening. So spiritually, metaphorically, Jesus is using a metaphor here. The woman said to him, so she, she, she hasn't grasped it yet. She's still trying to deal with this. Give me this literal water. 
give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water from this well. So Jesus is, this part of the conversation is over. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now, we don't know what Jesus, the text doesn't give us, does Jesus have a look in his eyes? You know, I'm not going to treat the text like a Max Lucado thing where Jesus had a twinkle in his eye and he said this, or Jesus was tongue in cheek and he said this, or Jesus was trying to score a point and let her have it. And he said, no, he just said, go, go call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, she's getting to something very, very physical here. She's getting to something, you know, we worship there, you worship here. And, and Jesus, I don't think, is ready to leave his metaphor yet. Jesus is talking metaphorically something spiritual that you can't quite understand in a physical sense or something else going on here. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So like, you know what? You got your place. I got my place. No, no, there's something deeper going on. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Huh. So I wonder if that's because that, again, that's not a physical reality. Truth is not physical. Spirit, by definition, is not physical. Now, I'm not seeing this necessarily a metaphor, but earlier it was a metaphor. There was something spiritual about what Jesus was doing within a person by giving him this living water, quote unquote. That something spiritual was happening that was going to cause the person not to thirst anymore in a spiritual sense. Obviously not in a physical sense. Because when she asked for that water so she wouldn't be thirsty again, Jesus didn't talk about that water that way. He was talking about his metaphorical spiritual water. Something he was doing within that person. This water that I give them. I, want you not, I don't want you to forget that. That's going to tie in to Lydia's story later on. This water that I give them. So now the Father expects us to worship in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything, everything to us. And then Jesus did something he didn't do often. He just said, I'm that guy. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Dang. He even uses the ego. I mean, he even drops in the I am there. Woo. So let's continue. Well, this is the encounter. That was the encounter. We got an encounter. We got a theological lesson. We got an aftermath. And yeah, that's, that was the encounter. Jesus had an encounter with a woman. And in this encounter, Jesus brings up a metaphor of him giving somebody, can we say faith? Him giving something, this living water, as it were. And I say as it were because it's metaphorical water. It's not literal water. They were drawing literal water. He's slurping it out of his you know, bucket kind of thing or out of her bucket. But that's it. 
there's a metaphor here about faith and it's faith that he gives someone and then she doesn't quite understand it so she says you know what i know who could do that maybe the messiah could do that so he'll bring that up to me later on says no but i'm him so i have that power to be able to give you faith to be able to worship god the way god expects you to worship him it's kind of like you're an outsider but I have the ability to make it so that you are not an outsider anymore in terms of faith. That's that 2 Corinthians 5 again. This is verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There it is. So Jesus is saying something here. He's able to give that water to somebody. That water. He's able to give that ability to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Faith is only possible if Jesus is at work in somebody, if Jesus makes that faith possible. So this is a different way to take this text, but it's right from the text, because it's a metaphor from the text. And Jesus says, I'm going to give that to them. I give that water. So why do I bring this up? Because we have an encounter and we have a theological lesson, because the very next part is really kind of where I want to focus. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But it wasn't awkward or weird or creepy because the text says, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They, they didn't pull him aside and go, Jesus, you know, hey, you know, you can't be alone with a woman. No, they're, they're in the middle of the day, out in the middle of the street somewhere. This is, this is not a creepy moment here. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples, they're moving on. They're just like, whatever. Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Now we're picturing what the heck's going on here. He's got like, you know, stuff in his pockets. You know, he's, he's got that Napoleon Dynamite movie. They, he, he put tater tots in his pockets. You know, he, he has like tater tots in there. Like, does Jesus have the loaves and fishes hanging on anymore? Someone give Jesus some, you know, First century Tic Tacs, how does he have food? What's going on here? Then his disciples said to each other, well, here we go. I shouldn't have said that. Here they said it themselves. Could someone have brought him food? Did this woman leave him food too? I mean, did she not just give him water, but was her food? My food, said Jesus. Now, I don't get the impression that Jesus was being mean to that woman when he was saying, you've got five hubs or what you, you have no husband. Or, but I do get the impression that Jesus might be a little bit snarky with his boys here. We just get the little impression here, just, just upon the, just how the text basically reads. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. We who are disciples of Jesus. We are reading this part of John 4 where Jesus was talking to his disciples and telling them to open their eyes. It behooves us, all of you listening to this right now, when Jesus tells his disciples to open his eyes, that's usually a good moment for us to take a step back and go, well, maybe I could open my eyes up too here a bit. Is there something I should be looking for? I don't know. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Interesting. This builds upon my argument from earlier. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What in the world could Jesus be talking about? Who had just left their company? That woman, what was she doing? She was telling all about Jesus. She was broadcasting to all these people who probably didn't care much about her because she had evidently a reputation because she had to draw water in the, in the middle of the day when she could be alone or when no one's going to bug her or whatnot. You know, preachers and teachers talk about that all the time. Now, what does she do? She goes right to those very people and she's talking and talking about Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, listen, pay attention here, disciples. There's a harvest that's going to be reaped here. Look at the fields. Someone has planted things that have now grown and are ready to be harvested. In this woman's case, Jesus made it possible for her to have a faith response. He encouched it in words like giving her living water. You see, if anybody ever has a faith response, it's because God is already at work in their life. That God is doing things. So he tells the disciples to, to what does he say? I sent you to reap a harvest you have not worked for. Anytime anybody comes to Christ, that's not our work. It's God at work. Now, he invites us to be a part of that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are fruit. Few. He invites us to be a part of that reaping, but we didn't do the sowing. You see, Jesus makes faith possible. Jesus makes it possible through his living water, through that act, that gift of faith, that very grace that makes that faith possible, that reconciles. He makes it possible. He gives the living one. He makes it so somebody can respond. So we continue. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Wow. He told me everything I ever did. Now, I don't know if it went that far. Maybe she's speaking just a little bit. You know, maybe she's just, you know, having just a, just a little bit of, 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 of extended commentary on that, but he told her enough. Maybe he told me the worst things I ever did. Maybe that was it. I don't know. Maybe their conversation was longer. I don't know. What Jesus told her stuck with her so much so that, you know, townspeople, you all know what, you all know my story. You all know the things I do and what I've been accused of and all these things. You all gossip about whatever it is. This guy walking in off the street, still on the street, walking into town, stopping at my well, doesn't know me from anybody, at least from my standpoint. And he tells me everything. Dang. I mean, if he was a you know, fellow resident of Sychar, he probably could have told my story, but he's not. And he's a Jew. So the, when the Samaritans came to him, verse 40, they urged him to stay with them. I like that. Because you got... You got other stories like the, uh, the, the Gadarene demoniac where Jesus heals him in legion. He gets sent into the pigs and, and the townspeople said, get out of here. They urged him to leave. The Samaritans urged Jesus to stay. Wow. And because of his words, many more became believers. Oh, there it is again. And because of his words, just like the living water. You become a believer because of the work of Jesus. Not just the work of Jesus on the cross, the work of Jesus in you. 
Jesus would later describe it as all that the father draws to me. It's like you become a believer. You become a new creation because God is already at work in you. There is no surprise. Even if, even to say, well, I led someone to Christ today. Someone could say, no, you reaped a harvest that was already sown. God has already been planting those seeds. God has already grown that crop. And here you were present to help out, to take that final step. God used you. Does that make sense? And because of his words, many more became believers. Wow. So they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Is that the greatest possible dox doxology for Jesus there? No, maybe not. It's not bad. But coming from Samaritans, that is prime real estate for theology right there. That's not bad at all. But especially coming from, I mean, wow. Wow. So the, the encounter with this woman, the theological lesson that the disciples had to learn, and then they got to see it in action as a whole town came to know and believe in Jesus. And then the aftermath. Yeah. What a scene. Faith is only possible if Jesus is already at work. The story of Lydia. This is going to illustrate this as well. Acts 16. Take a drink real quick. Uh, this is um, Acts chapter 16 from Troas. So some city they were in Troas. We put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. How about that? A nice territory name, Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi. And by the way, if you're ever reading the book of Acts and all these like proper names, like, oh, geez, all these geographical things. And, and you're, you're just, you're like, oh, I can't take any more of this. Just remember, those were real places that the gospel writer and the, act, the historian, Dr. Luke, did his research for to make sure everybody could know exactly where they were. So you could put dates and places and geography. And so you can just paint with rich technicolor the background of what's going on these are real people in real places they were traveling to genuine ex experiences and dealing with real issues and situations so you read these names like okay enough already no not enough already these this is what would make it come alive so from there we traveled to philippi now you might be saying oh finally you know a name i kind of recognize you know the philippians okay a roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. I, one of my fraternity brothers is Macedonian, and he, and he, I remember a conversation a long time ago in the, in the frat house, and in Macedonia, that's kind of cool. He goes, it is cool. We're a very ancient civilization. We're even in your, and he knew I was a Christian. We're even in your Bible. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wow. So I, I read this, and I remember my friend Alex, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. Okay, so there's some intentionality there. So maybe if we want to use words like Jesus used in John 4, 
You know, Jesus told the disciples to open their eyes and look at the field. So maybe Paul is opening his eyes and looking at the fields here, seeing what's going on. Fine. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Interesting. They went to a place and there was only women there. Jesus came into town and there was only a woman there. Kind of a connection. The women, women who had gathered there. Evidently, given the context of this verse, maybe Paul was expecting some kind of a synagogue or some kind of a prayer, prayer place. And here women had gathered to pray. So these were women who, um, they were inside. They were insiders to a degree. They were people who were already ready for the spiritual conversations or ready for, um, I don't know. They were, they were, they, they're not shocked when Paul starts coming and speaking about God because they're there for, you know, like if someone comes to church, all of a sudden they hear a sermon and, and they don't get surprised. They go, huh, I didn't expect that to happen. No, you came to church. I bet you were going to hear a sermon. So they went to this place and they heard, okay. So it continues. Well, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those who those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. So she had purple. So she was a person who with means only the rich wore purple. So I don't know if she was aware of purple, but she was a seller of purple. So this is um, only people who the, the, get the purple dye. You had to have it was a special, I think a little snail or something that did it. So it was very ritzy color to have. It was very hard to get unless you had money, but she was a dealer. And so she was a small businesswoman is what she was. And so she had she's someone who was you know, put together financially and et cetera. So pretty impressive. Okay. She was also a worshiper of God. All right. So already she's inside already. There's, there's a heart that is wanting to reach out to God. That's why she qualifies you know, the, the Samaritan woman, when Jesus starts talking about faith, she's there and wants to talk about faith. And she makes it more about a geopolitical thing about you, you Jews and we Samaritans. But this woman here, you know, she, she's, she's wanting to talk. Lydia is wanting to talk. And she, she's wanting to listen and wanting to experience and wanting to connect with God. And, and there was a woman listening from the city of Thyatira. She was a worshiper of God. And then here it is. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Once again, Jesus gives that living water. That living water causes a wellspring inside of faith and response that leads to eternal life. Okay? There's something about that living water that's going to be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, that's not a metaphor Jesus would use loosely. There's something about that faith that leads to eternal life. That's Christianity 101. This John 3.16. We'll, we'll have everlasting life. There it is. There's something about that that comes through faith only coming because of the work of Jesus. So now the Lord literally opened up Lydia's heart. Once again, making faith possible. Faith, a faith response is only possible if God reaches in and makes it possible. That's an Ephesians 2 kind of response. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sins, 
you know, you were, you were that crispy critter in the morgue, you know, that you're dead in your sins, but God, it's like by grace, you've been saved. It's like God made that possible, but you were dead on your own. You were never going to respond to God as it is, as it is up to you on your own. You were never going to do it. The only way you were going to do it is if God caused you to do it. God opened Lydia's heart. Well, guess what, my friends? God opened my heart. God opened your heart. That's the only reason why you're here today, listening to a message like this. God gave you that drink of living water, and that living water has, has swelled up within you to eternal life. So she responded. That's the encounter, and the aftermath. When she and the members of her household were baptized, oh, let's just not take that out of context. Or not out of context. Let's not just pass over that. They responded in faith and said, okay, let's take the next step. Let's take this allegiance step. She invited us and, and, and her household too. So this is a woman that wasn't going to be denied. So she invited the household over. Okay, I'm going to accept this Jesus and I'm going to make a faith commitment. And by the way, so is my entire family. We're going to do it too. There was no telling this woman, no, you're, you're going to do it. All right. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So now Paul in this area is going to have a base of action. He and his crew are going to have a place to stay. Not bad. So later on in the chapter, um, you know, Paul ended up in, in, in with a jailer and he ended up in, in, in prison. And he, in around verse 37, he's complaining, saying they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No way. Let them come, this out, come themselves and escort us out. The, of, the office, officers reported this to the magistrates. When they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the, the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So once again, Lydia's house, this person of means who come, who the Lord drew, opened her heart and drew her in. You know, Paul was just there at the end. Paul was just reaping the harvest that was already sown and it was already grown. And Paul was there at the end. The springs of living water, that, 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 that living water was already given to her. The Lord literally opened her heart. And so her home, the, the aftermath of her story is her home became a place of, of gathering and worship. Maybe like an ecclesia. Maybe hers was the first, the first church in Philippi. She played a key role. So new creations, number one, what do we take from this? We got the story of the Samaritan woman from John 4, the story of Lydia, Acts 16. New creations require God to previously be at work. We don't start from scratch with anybody. God is at work. The disciples need to learn in John 4 to, to open their eyes and look at the fields. See where God is at work. See where God, what God is doing. And this woman with a history and with a, with a, a this, this, this all, all that she had going on she had these things that were the, that the people might have gossiped about and dealing with all these things this reputation um god was at work and she she had an encounter with jesus 
and Jesus opened up her heart, just like Jesus opened up Lydia's heart. Jesus gave her living water. So she responded in faith. New creations require God to previously be at work. So number two, new creations want to respond to God's work in them. I don't care what this woman's story was, how raunchy it was, how many men she'd slept with. I mean, what, what did she say? She said five husbands and she's on number six. Okay, well, that's quite a story. That's quite a bedroom. I mean, that's quite, there's a lot going on there, lady. But oh, well. <laughs> on the flip side, you've got Lydia. Fine, upstanding Roman citizen. Dealer in purple cloth. You know, small businesswoman. Up on the up and up. Respected. She wanted to respond. You see, when new creations, when they want to respond to God's work, and then they do. In fact, new creations want to respond. That's one of the signs you, you are a new creation is you want to respond. A lot of times in ministry, we joke about brand new Christians and how on fire they are to share about Jesus. Like, wow, there's a new Christian. Well, he wants to give the gospel to everybody. Well, there's something about that. It's like when you've been snatched out of the flames, you want to help others. Like there's something about the ministry that you want to care for people, especially if you've seen, you know, we get this in the Corinthian letter. As you've received comfort, now give comfort. It's 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 a simple, simple premise there of, uh, of you want to now respond. New creations require God to previously be at work in them, and new creations want to respond to God's work in them, regardless of their story, regardless of their background, Regardless of what people might think, new creations don't care. New creations want to give God glory. That's a good sign that you have been reconciled to God and you are a new creation. You want to respond. You want to give him glory. And you don't care what other people think of you. This woman didn't care what, she might have even interrupted people gossiping about her. Oh, here she comes. Oh, what's she going to tell us now? Which husband is she on now? Or, and she's telling about Jesus. Oh, she's talking about a man. Oh, I'm not surprised. There he is. He told me everything about me. Go listen to him. And so the whole town did. Or, you know, if that was, you know, a lot of people did. And they were like, you know what? It wasn't just because of what she said. We heard it ourselves. We get it. We respond. New creations require God to previously be at work. New creations want to respond to God's work in them regardless Number three, as disciples, we open our eyes and we look at the fields. We have intentional conversations with people. As we have conversations with people, we recognize God is at work in their life too. We listen to their stories. We say, what's going on? How can, how can I pray for you? Well, I got a lot going on. Well, okay, tell me about it. And we listen to their, their hurts. We listen to their struggles. We listen to their pains. We, look, we listen for landmarks. We look at runways. We might be able to land the plane kind of thing. We listen. We learn and we love. We look for opportunities to see God at work. Because with new creations, God has already been at work and God is at work. So we want to look for that. We open our eyes and look at the fields. We recognize God at work. And then we respond to his leading the ministry. We respond. I mean, my goodness. Imagine if, if you know, she wants to open up her, 
if you consider me a believer in the Lord, you know, come stay at my house. And, and Paul would have went, oh, you know, I mean, ah, you know, we've already got a place or we're going to leave town or we just got out of prison or, you know, we're going to be, you know, uh, there's stuff coming down the pike, you know, or um, I guess he was going to be in prison later on in the chapter. But so, okay, I mean, no, recognize and respond to that leading to minister. So what Jesus told the disciples was, look, open your eyes and look at the fields. You're going to harvest something that you didn't do the work for, but you're still going to get to harvest it. So there's something about us as Christians, as we have friends that we care for, we're all care pastors to a degree. We listen, we learn, we love, we care for people. We journey alongside them. We open our eyes and look at the fields. We recognize God's at work. And then we respond as God leads us for his glory. That's what Paul did. And that's what Jesus told the disciples to do. And then they got to literally watch it happen with a whole town. A whole town of those disciples probably were grumbling about being in. But if we take the word of God at face value, that's a town that's in heaven right now with those disciples. They got to see them all come to faith in Christ. And as they are in Christ right now, waiting for us, as history finally fully comes to an end, as they are in Christ with Jesus, so that town would be in Christ with Jesus. So would Lydia and her household. New creations. This has been Big Rev for Masterclass Theology. From John 4 and Acts 16. New creation number two. God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.